0: David going to come and join. Uh, I met David, I don't even know how many years ago. I think it was at Bigby. Uh, we had our first conversation and you had, I think, two of your boys with you and your boys were small at the time. And Dave has really challenged me and encouraged me over the years. And we have great conversations when we're together and I always walk away with something new to wrestle with and, and chew on. And uh, this morning you're going to get to hear from him, and he's definitely going to challenge you. And uh, we're going to walk through some uh, some just uh, crucial uh, material in Mark as we wrap up this series. So uh, thank you, Dave, for being here, thank I just you. so appreciate you. i to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> um, I appreciated Chris opening up with uh, that those meditations from Psalm 25. Um, It so happens that um, I was flipping through some of my extra stuff in my Bible and I found a a Father's Day card from Melody from, I think it was 2013, it's got a picture of her hugging me, she was barely up to my knees, but uh, she says, I love you, you are the best, dear daddy I love you, how are you? love Melody. I am great, honey. Thank you. I'm really good, <laughs> especially since I found this card. And in it, she had Mama write, the secret of the Lord is with them who fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. And she knows, or Mama told her, that that, was my, that might be my favorite Bible verse, and it's from Psalm 25. And if we look at the the prayer that David was, you know, his appeal was, God, show me your ways. Show me your paths he goes ahead and answers. Like, how many of us believe that God will show us if we ask him, right? I hope we all do, right? Otherwise, like, our asking is just in a vain exercise. But we have this hope that God is a living God and in our broken world, in our places of need, that there is a throne of grace where there is mercy and grace to help us in our times of need, and there's wisdom when we need it. And the answer to, you know, how do we what's what's our hope how do we how how might we put ourselves in the way of finding the paths that we're seeking he says the secrets of the lord are though, with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant and what i see in that is by the way let me just ask a question if god is hiding something if god is keeping a secret who among us is clever enough diligent enough to find it if god is hiding it jesus said I thank you, God, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent of this world, but you've revealed them unto babes. Again, if God is hiding something, who can find it? When that's our hope, though, is that the truth that sets us free can be found, but essentially it's not because we seek so hard. Now, to be sure, Jesus said you will seek me and you will find me when you search with all your heart, Right? There is a diligence and a pursuit to seeking truth. But in the final analysis, truth is bestowed. The revelation, the realization of spiritual truth is a gift from God. He reveals it. He sees a humble heart, a teachable heart. And he says, like in Proverbs 123, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. All God's looking for is the heart that will turn when he corrects him. All, heart, all he's looking for is a humble, teachable heart, like a little child, just willing to learn, willing to believe and receive. And when he sees that heart, you know what he does? He pours the truth out. He pours the grace out in abundance. And that's our hope. That's how our hope to find the path is if we're willing to walk in them when he shows them to us. Amen? Right? So the surrendering of our will is that essential component between the knowledge that we have here or read here and 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 it transferring down here into our hearts where we take ownership of it where we really believe it because one one man said that that God is the truth right Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life so God is the truth the Bible is the truth about the truth and theology is the truth about the truth about the truth right it's certainly not theology theology that's gonna set us free right which I love theology I love the Bible but there's a lot of people that know a lot of Bible that it hasn't set them free yet. The Pharisees, were the, they were the possessors of biblical truth according to their traditions. And when the very God of truth came among them, they didn't, didn't recognize him. They actually said he's got a devil. So that's how far off you can be even having a knowledge of the words and the truths written here. What's the transition there? The, God couldn't tell the Pharisees, no. They wouldn't let him tell him no, or tell they wouldn't let him tell them no. They had their program. So <clears throat> today we have a hope that we can have access to truth, understanding of truth, finding the paths of the Lord, and ultimately finding our our, our life under the kingship of God in the kingdom of God here and now, despite this broken world. So all that's an introduction. Thank you, Melody, for this card. I'm never gonna never going to part ways with it. And by the way, there's one here from Elijah too. Don't have time to show you that one. But we're going we're gonna to be in Mark. When, when, when I got asked a couple months ago about sharing today, I looked at the passage and I'm like, this is like the grand finale. And so since Nick took the privilege of posting a picture from Lord of the Rings two weeks ago, Today's message, and he titled his, I think, The End is in Sight, right? Today it's end game. And, yeah, ring any bells to anybody? Yeah. Ah, it did to the guy back there with the slides. End game because what we'll find in, 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 in what we found in, when Nick was speaking from the, the end being in sight was that what Jesus was telling his disciples, they weren't like, really understanding like what was going on. Um, they, they, they believed Jesus, but like there were things that they just couldn't fit into their, their, their paradigm or their expectations. Likewise, when Pastor Gerton shared about the woman who anointed Jesus, the disciples read that thing totally wrong. They thought it was a, what a horrible waste. And Jesus looked at it and was like, no, this extravagant display of love, I, I, I'm affirming this. This is really, a, this, is, this is the most important thing. In the, ever, right? Don't miss this one. And so, it's still possible for us to be perceiving or reading things like with our eyes and with our ears and drawing conclusions and yet being way wrong, right? So we don't want to be that way. We want to know in our hearts that, that what we're seeing is the discernment of, of truth as God defines it, right? Not according to what appears to be the truth. So, that's a, a lead-up to our, our study here, and I'm just going to read straight through. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but today we are going old school. How many of you are familiar with the King James Bible? All right. Like, so I love my Bible. This happens to be the King James. It was the one I first found as a Christian, and I love it. Um, I love other translations, too, you know, but today we're, we're going old school, So, um, starting in um, Mark 15, we'll read verses 25, then we'll hop down to 33, and you can follow along on the screen if you like. So Mark, Mark 15, verse 25 says, And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Verse 33, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, the less, I'm sorry, Mary, the mother of James the less and of Joseph and Salome. So those, that's the... That's the core account of Jesus dying on the cross. And I've got to think that by this point, we can clearly see that the disciples' expectation was really way off from what reality was going to be, how the, this next stage of Jesus' ministry was going to go. So the definition of endgame that I found says the, death, the ultimate agenda or desired consequence of a planned series of events, often elaborate and unknown to the outsiders. Does that kind of fit what kind of happened, that dramatic shift of events, the turn of events from Jesus, you know, the the, 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 the king coming, being praised, to Jesus being, you know, reviled and mocked and ultimately killed? Um, I've got to think a lot of people were wondering, what's going on here? And even the angels may have been saying, what's the end game here, right? Where is this going? So what's evident is that God was working something. And unlike our friend, Dr. Strange, there on our screen, who was like he and his cohorts were, they were all in panic reaction mode, right? God says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God was not in reaction mode here. Nothing that happened in, this, in the death of Christ, he didn't owe anybody anything. He was satisfying his own requirements for justice and for mercy. He had a plan, and from the very moment that Adam sinned in terms of history and time, God wasn't thrown. The prophecy right there was, I've got a plan. There's one coming. Yes, you're going you're to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. God had a plan for a redeemer from the very beginning. Moving on to chapter 16, verse 1, where we verses 1 through 8 and 12 through 20. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. As they went out quickly and fled the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said anything to any man, for they were afraid. Verse 12. After that, he, Jesus, appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told Told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So, it it would be impossible to fully unpack even half of this portion. So, but I felt like taking the whole thing together and recognizing this, that when the scripture teaches us uh, concerning the finished work of the cross in the New Testament, what our inheritance is through, through Christ, our new life, our imputed righteousness, the future glorification of the saints, it's speaking of the cross in a, in a comprehensive sense that includes everything mentioned in the passage we read today. From the death, the burial and resurrection, to the ascension and the seeding, it all together is, is incorporated into the cross. Because if you, if you take out any one part of that, the thing could fall apart. It would fall apart. And God just determined that it would be a complete work Comprised of essential individual elements. So, for example, well, I'll just go through them real quick here. Um, the sinless, sinless death of Christ uh, bought our salvation. Our forgiveness is found. Forgiveness is probably the, the chief uh, aspect of the of the, of the of the of of the death of Christ that we we contemplate. And access access is core. And access is symbolized when that temple veil was split in two. Now, this wasn't like a shower curtain you could rip like this. This thing was 40 to 60 feet high and 4 inches thick of woven gar- woman material. Um, it, it could have weighed a ton, all right? And it was ripped from the top to the bottom. No human could rip it, and if possible, it couldn't have ripped from the top to the bottom. And the book of Hebrews says that this was signifying that the way into the very presence of God was now open. That was the big thing. It stood as a barrier between us and the inner inner reality and the full access to to the loving nature of our Father. Like we may have known him significantly as judge through the law, but the knowledge of God as Father in the Old Testament was very, very scant. Very much concealed in a way. Um, but so access uh, and, 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 and positional righteousness. Uh, the resurrection symbolizes new life. We are raised to life with Christ, buried with Him through baptism and raised uh, with Him through the operation of the, of the working of God in our lives. In the ascension and the seating, the, the featured element there is judgment and authority. So as you look at the the death of Christ as the the beginning of his final acts on earth with the ascension, you have access and authority, like bookends of the completed work of Christ. And in some ways, um, when John, the apostles, described God as love, right, wouldn't love kind of be the, the connecting point for access, right? I mean, that's what our hearts are most satisfied in is the love of God. Access and love kind of go together, but judgment is also paralleled with something John said God is. God is light. So at the bookends of this work, you have access and authority. You also have love and light. And those two things can seem to be like, oh, as one put it, the splendid coalescence of contrarieties. That's definitely words of a theologian, right? But it's, it, it's meant to like describe how two very much polar opposite things work in harmony together for the accomplishing of a, of a whole. So, for example, mercy and judgment. How can mercy and judgment, like God being absolute mercy and absolute judgment? They, they can't. They're mutually exclusive except in God, and they're actually through the cross. We find them meeting together. Um, Love and light or love and light, also work in, in, in drawing us to Christ. Um, for example, it says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? Jesus offered, who, who, if, is any among you weary and heavy laden? Come unto me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls. So the invitation is there, definitely on the mercy side, the love side, right? But did you notice there's a yoke too? you see love and light or access and authority together in there? Um, Love wins us with mercy, gentleness, and the kindness that leads us to repentance. Light wins us with boundaries, firmness, and sometimes fear, right? Think of it this way. God has set guardrails because he has the authority to do that. How many of us hit some of those guardrails pretty hard? How many of us know that before we hit that guardrail real hard, God was telling us, you don't need to go that way. Don't go this way, right? And Sometimes the only way he can get a hold of us is pain, right? It's and we could almost, could almost be tempted to think of that as equivalent with wrath, but it's not. It's mixed with love. But sometimes, like gift, like there's the, I think C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Gift of Pain, All right? Sometimes it's only through that 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 we find our way back to love. See, light always leads us to love. Always. They're both motivators. Fear pain, those negative things, they're motivators for sure. But the ultimate goal isn't for us to suffer shame or guilt. Guilt's a, bad, guilt's a motivator. It's not a real good one a lot of times. But ultimately, pleasure and love, what we find in God, are the preeminent, highest motivators that we are, we are, we are invited into. So as we look at the, the various components that comprise uh, the cross here, I want to pause again on the seating, because this is important. Turn to, uh, well, we've got a slide for Acts 2.32. Um, it, It isn't much talked about, but we'll see how really central it is, and it's important. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. So what was Peter referring to here? He was referring to this experience of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how it transformed the people who received it on the day of Pentecost, right? And he's saying this is how it happened. This Jesus that that humbled himself, that, that, that died, of whom we are all witnesses, he was raised, sat down at the right hand, and, and gave, the, gave the authorization to the Holy Spirit to come. And what's featured in Pentecost is adoption, crying, Abba, Father, right, and empowerment. Now, legally speaking, our, and positionally, our sins were forgiven at the cross, Right? But if not for the, the resurrection, the ascension, and the seeding, we just may never know it. Our lives might never f- be transformed by the kingdom of God, the internal dwelling of the kingdom of God. So all of these, do you see how these are all, they all kind of work together? <clears throat> he later then said, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you have cru- crucified, both Lord and Christ. Here's, here's the key. The seating representing the Lordship of Christ is that essential reality that every Christian needs to uh, has at the gate of their entrance into life. It's that that it's that going back to our early verses there about what kind of heart is God looking for, it's the heart that that's willing to let God correct them. It's the heart willing to let Jesus, who is Lord, right now, whether any of us ever know it, acknowledge it, or Want to believe it? He is Lord right now. It's objectively real. Because he's at the right hand of the Father right now while we're here. The Christian is the one who says, yep, and you're my Lord. I'll let you be my Lord in my life. And if you see the way that, um, you know, the people that were transformed from cowardly they like the the apostles even after the resurrection were hiding in the in, you know in the house with the doors locked right their their sins had been forgiven Christ was raised from the dead legally they were all you know in him but they were afraid it wasn't until the the spirit came gave them assurance of their salvation that their their lives were transformed. And in the same way, when we say yes, the scripture says that, G, that the Holy Spirit, that God sent the Holy Spirit to those who obey Jesus. There's this connection between our, our measure of fullness of God and our willingness to let him be Lord in our lives. There you have love and light coalescing in us. But love always, light always points us to love. Amen? I remember... Um, going back to this, the way light wins us, um, I was thinking about um, this this uh, preacher who was talking about uh, on the Pennsylvania Turnpike headed westbound, you're coming up to a sharp curve, there was a sign that said, slow down, curve ahead. You go a little further and it says, slow down, curve ahead. And then the third one says, you, slow down. You get it, right? Light was warning us, warning the drivers about it. And I had to think about that's kind of the way it is. And then I remember, well, who that was that, that I heard that from, and it was, was my son-in-law's grandpa. It was, it was, it was uh, uh, Abner Kaufman. And uh, I didn't know, you know, Josh was going to be here as I was thinking about that. But, but that's, so you see the connection there between light and love, right? Slow down. Um, so... Um, What does this mean for us? Jesus is the king. He taught that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He also said that the kingdom of heaven is within you, right? The cross represents that critical um, point at which the kingdom and the king were established. However, um, we don't see everything. We don't see all the enemies of of. God put under his feet. And by the way, I thought about this. You know, at what point did the enemies of God, which it says that if the princes of this world had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory, that they were being set up. In fact, they were being ambushed by the crucifixion. The enemies of God, Satan, they thought, "Now we got him." And then the 12, then the 6th hour hit and everything went dark. I wonder if they started to get nervous. And then the ninth hour hit, and there was an earthquake. And some people, like that centurion standing by, they got it. They're like, this was the Son of God. Do you think they were nervous then? I think they were starting to get really nervous. Because ultimately, that was their undoing. But we don't see it, except where we let the king... So a kingdom is the, the realm within which a king exerts his authority, right? Does that make sense? And that could be anywhere if we let the king be, the king Jesus be king in our, our lives. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we in our fallen world, we look and we see a lot of things that sure don't look like the way God would want them. But we can pray, God, this this situation needs it needs your presence. It needs your help. We invite you to be king in this situation. Show us what we can do to bring the influence of the kingdom of God, of heaven, into this broken, painful situation and help find healing and transformation. That's the kingdom now that you and I are invited to to share with others. So we find in his in access, we find the 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 meeting of every one of our needs. We are called into that, right? We are called. And it's, it's wonderful. David, David, after realizing he'd sinned, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And repentance is the it, at that place where we acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Re, that's, that's the one side of the, of the repentance coin. It's, it's believing Jesus as Lord. It's turning to him. It's also turning from whatever life we've been living up to that point. That's where we find forgiveness. And... And it's actually, the, that that's really the ongoing process of our life as Christians. I heard that the, the Romanian Christians uh, referred to themselves as repenters. And that's really how it is. It's we walk in the light, and lo and behold, we realize, uh-oh, we've kind of veered off the course. The light comes, points us back to love. We freshen up our accounts with God, and we continue to walk in in the forgiveness and joy of the Lord. That's as simple as it is. And that joy becomes the infectious thing that God wants to spread throughout. It's to continue to multiply the reality of multiplied millions finding the forgiveness and their wholeness in the loving embrace of their their Father. But you see, light and love, access and authority, they kind of work together. So the invitation for all of us is to overcome. Overcome. To them that overcome, and I'm just going to wrap up with this, um, in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus did an analysis of seven different churches, personalized. And in every one of them, in fact, he preceded the whole thing with chapter 1, which is the revelation of a dreadful sight and sound, an overwhelming light, an overwhelming sound that left John the Apostle flat on his face with f- dread fear. Like, that's, that's, that's our Jesus right now, folks. On the throne. That's him. And when that, went, like, but thankfully, like we're, there's this diffuser keeping the light at pleasant levels, right? But when that diffuser is pulled away sometimes, that's the, in, that's the involuntary reaction of mortal man in the face of unapproachable light and absolute holiness. But when Jesus addresses these seven churches, in every case, from the ones that were really doing bad to the ones that were really doing good, he always includes an element of his authority in that assessment. It, some descriptive term. You can find it for yourself. But what I want you to say, see is, is that everywhere you look now, open, let your eyes be open to these, these splendid coalescing of contrarieties, light and love, authority and access—they go together. But He's invited us to overcome. To Him that overcomes is we're going to eat from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. We shall not be heard of the second death. There's going to be hidden manna and a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. There's going to be power over the nations, the morning star, clothed in white, name not blotted out of the book of life. And our name confessed by Jesus before his father will be made a pillar in the house of God and will have a new name written on us. And to him that overcomes, Jesus said, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So can I just sum this up then? In our world, we have choices to make all the time. And sometimes they're good, and sometimes we don't make the right choices. But the opportunity is there to make the choice as to it, to process whatever the situation is through our own eyes and our own ears and our own belly or through the lens of the kingdom of God, through the king and and what, what reality is? Will we let Jesus be Lord in our lives? Will we choose the pleasure of his presence and fellowship more than the pleasure of the sin we're being tempted with? It's a battle. Jesus really faced temptation and he overcame. The day will come when the unleashed power and glory of Jesus will be seen by all at his return. All his enemies will be manifestly defeated, and every eye will see him, and the kings of the earth will mourn. For now his reign is largely veiled, yet when it finds an open heart, good soil, the the grace of God enters and can bring hope, healing, life, peace, and joy where there had been brokenness, bondage, and hopelessness. This stage of the end game has us bringing in the kingdom one life at a time as we look with hopeful expectation of his certain and future coming and the full restoration of the world he owns. So today, we're called. Every one of us is called. Come back to the Father. Come into reality the reality that Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. None of us are Lord of our own lives. We might think we are, but he's Lord ultimately every knee's going to bow and we're called to find rest for our souls and we're sent we're sent because it wasn't just for us that Jesus died it wasn't just so we could be on end unto the you know as the object of his of his love alone which we are an absolute object of his love but we're sent because he's choosing to use us in the ongoing work of the establishing of his kingdom that one day as it says in Revelation, the, of this, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for opening our eyes, for finding in us some measure of, of faith, of yieldedness, of, of a good soil, God. We just pray you continue the good work you've begun in each of us and continue to open our eyes and open our ears to hear what you're saying to us. And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you.